So Google decided that a global pandemic and core updates that randomly push your rankings up and down without really understanding why was not enough for us to deal with. So they decided to roll out a new algorithm update that specifically targets product reviews and roundup reviews. But the good news is that they gave us a blog post to tell us exactly what we should have in our reviews for them to keep ranking. So in this episode, Mark and I are going to go over that blog post that they gave us and tell you in plain English what we think of it and what we think you should do to your website so you can keep ranking high for review terms. But before we get started, I have a quick announcement to make. Authority Hacker Pro, our best and most advanced training with over 300 over-the-shoulder videos, is back for enrollment this week only. So if you enjoyed my last video on site structure or the live stream I did on keyword research or a lot of the content we released in the podcast, Think about that times a thousand inside Authority Hacker Pro. Plus inside Authority Hacker Pro, you also get our copy and paste templates, our SOPs, and access to our advanced communities with a lot of people killing it with Authority websites. So if you want to learn more about it and join today, go on authorityhacker.com pro and we'll see you inside. But hurry up because it is only open this week and after that, we are not going to be reopening it for a while. Now that the announcement is done, let's get started with the episode. Welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast. And now your hosts, Gail Breton and Mark Webster. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Authority Hacker Podcast. If you don't remember, we are actually now only releasing an episode every two weeks, but you're lucky because this week is one of these two weeks. And you're even luckier because this week is a week when we're launching Authority Hacker Pro, which is our most advanced training with the most content in there. It does include the Authority Site system. So our beginners course together with our advanced stuff. And we are recording quite a bit of stuff with Mark right now. So uh, there's a lot of updates that are coming live on Authority Hacker Pro right now. If you want to learn more about it, just go on authorityhacker.com pro and you will find everything you need on the sales page. But now we're going to jump into the podcast. And before we jump into the podcast, even though we're doing the podcast every two weeks, we don't forget the traditions. So how's it going, Mark? It's going going good. I would say stressful is uh, maybe a better adjective to use. Anytime we do a launch for HPro, it only happens like twice a year. We have to get it right because like the slightest thing on the sales page and we can lose like tens of thousands of dollars. So yeah, busy week this week getting everything in line yeah, for that. It's fine. I'm I'm kind of like it's like we've done it a few times now. So I'm like, I'm okay. I'm more excited to like see who's gonna join, like see what they're doing, etc. There's always like some cool people joining, so I'm looking forward to see what they do, etc. But anyway, let's jump onto the podcast because the podcast is gonna be something that interests a lot of people because Google has released an update, but unlike most of the updates they have done in the past few months slash years, they actually gave us some information this time. So we tend to not be huge fans of commenting on updates when really there's nothing to comment about. Some sites went up, some sites went down. There's nothing objective to say about why they went up or down. But in this case, Google gave us some stuff to talk about and analyze and think about. And so whether you went up or down in this update, I think we're going to have some interesting insight that we can share here. And we are going to be talking about an update that particularly touches the people that follow us because it is touching product reviews, roundup reviews, not just single reviews, but pretty much anything related to talking about products online in terms of content. And essentially Google's like, well, guys, you got to pick your shit up and, and do proper reviews. That's the nutshell, the nutshell version of it. And essentially he's trying to reward people who are doing a good job rather than like penalize people who do a bad job as per the wording of their blog post. But let's dive a little bit into this. Just give me what happened. What happened, Mark? Okay. So a couple weeks ago, and I'm not sure how related this is, but a couple weeks ago, Google came out with something called best things, which everyone was sort of talking about. I just wanted to address that first because it kind of plays into this. I'm not sure exactly how related it is, but basically Google had a sort of mini site 
full of different products. And the way this was positioned in their PR release was that this is the only place you need to go to to find the best anything for anything. And that was bullshit. It really wasn't. The, the press release and the reality was almost like completely different. It was just a glorified Google shopping page which had some like extra kind of reviewed content which had been like scraped and pulled in from other sources. And if the product wasn't on Google Shopping, then the product wasn't there. So no way this could be the best anything for anything. I think it's just a way of Google trying to sort of cash in on reviews in some way, maybe use their market position to put their their own site first, even though it was like super thin review. Like you wouldn't go to the any of these pages and get an objective nah. opinion about whether the product was good or not which is surprising then that a, a week later they come out with this update <laughs> yes let's call it the the product reviews update or affiliate reviews update might be a better term i'm not sure and they're they're basically come out with all these criteria about what makes a good product review and there's a lot of stuff on there you're probably doing already but this is just really like clarifying, although raise, some of the sections raise more questions than they really answer. But they're really trying to push down your throat that you can't just be rewriting the manufacturer's sales page, regurgitating a few things, maybe linking it to a, a benefit here and there and calling that a, a, a review and being expected to be competitive with other people who are maybe taking it a bit more seriously and putting in more effort. So I think I imagine whoever's sort of organizing this on, on Google then has a pretty tough time trying to ascertain or determine which sites are doing a good job in these different factors and, and which ones aren't because it's somewhat subjective whether a review is good or not. I think that'd be very difficult to kind of police algorithmically. So I think they're probably trying to start defining some criteria by which to judge review content. And so this will be, in my estimation, a continuing thing that develops as, yeah. as, as time goes on. The most kind of like new ranking factors they introduce, right, they tend to be very minor and actually don't matter that much. I mean, some people obviously saw movements, but also a lot of people didn't see movements with this update. So considering the amount of people that we know that have review sites, it's like actually a, quite a small number of people that that seem to be affected compared to you know the amount of people it could have affected so yeah it's going i will to be say that it, it affected one of our sites in a, a positive way it was up about 30 30 something percent in traffic this weekend at least yeah but it was actually up even more in revenue because the keywords and whatever that was being affected were predominantly commercial monetary ones not so much like info info content yeah, uh, so like the ad revenue went increase. up pretty much exactly 30%, whereas uh, I thought revenue went up quite a bit more. So that was quite interesting. Before we keep going with that, I just because I know we're, we're going to close this, so I wanted to talk quickly about this shopping, this best thing site from Google. I know people went crazy when this, like, you know, was on Facebook, it was people, ah, GG, game over. Like, uh, that's it, Google's going to, like, take all the review keywords and no affiliate site's going to show up, etc. But it's like, for that site that went up, actually, when you Google best keywords, etc., very often, for example, you know, Google will show actually a carousel of products. And when you click on it, then what it's going to do is going to search for the product name and essentially show single reviews for that product, right? And I found, I was checking uh, on that site, this besting site, for the same product category. And essentially, it's exactly what's in a carousel that was showing up for the best in the product category. And I actually believe this site was built from features that were already in search, so they're just pulling stuff that existed already inside google.com when you were searching and they just put it as a website pretty much. 
rather than essentially Google starting to enter that market, I don't think they're going to try to rank organically. I think they will still do what they do, which is show up like a product carousel. So for example, if you go best SEO tools, for example, you will also have a top carousel and you see like SEMrush, HRS, Moz, blah, 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 et cetera. And then essentially you can click on one of them and then you, it's going to Google that query. So it's going to Google SEMrush or HRS or something like this. And then, yeah, that site's going to show up on top. Not great for affiliates, but that's something that's been around for a while. So yeah, it feels like it's more like the other way around than what people think. It's like this site was built from stuff that was already in search and just like they put it together as a website rather than that Google entered magically the review space with their own site. And to be honest, I was checking that site on Ahrefs. It's reporting 57 traffic on Ahrefs right now. So it's not something that we worry very much about. It ranks for like really weird keywords, not even uh, any random preview keyword or anything like that. So I wouldn't be worried. There's not much original content as well. If Google, I don't think Google would like favor their site. I know it, they would tend to do that, but like given all the antitrust stuff that's going on, etc. I would imagine that they would probably try to avoid that kind of bad PR these days. And I don't think it's worth the price for them compared to how much money they make with ads to put these, themselves in that kind of situation and risk an antitrust, like even more arguments in the antitrust against them, you know? So that's basically my parenthesis on this one. I'm not very worried about this best things site. Now let's go back to the update. Yeah. So on uh, Thursday, 8th of April, they released this product reviews update. I think they're, they're calling it. And there's a fair amount of text. Uh, I'll put a link to it in the, the show notes. So if you're watching on YouTube, we'll flash up the, yeah, yeah. the various parts on the screen as we're, as we're talking about them. But basically they're saying, you know, we're tr- Google's trying to make search helpful and useful through testing, blah, blah, blah. And then the second sentence, which is quite strong, said, from this, we know people appreciate product reviews that share in-depth research rather than thin content that simply summarizes a bunch of products. Now, I actually got quite excited when I, I first yeah. read this because I'm thinking, oh, finally, they've sort of cracked on to what's, what's going on here. And I, I'm looking mostly at the big publishers, like newspapers and stuff, kind of cashing in Forbes. on their <laughs> DR to write write uh, reviews about anything and everything that, that's on Amazon or that they can get an affiliate link for. And although it's well written in the sense that from an editorial perspective, it's it's Grammatically correct. correct. Yeah, and the, that, that stuff is fine, uh, obviously. I mean, you expect that. But the recommendations they're making and the thoroughness of their analysis leaves a lot to be desired. Yet they're still beating, uh, or they were still beating at least a lot of smaller sites who put in more effort to actually research the, the products properly just because these these big sites had had high DR and could kind of outrank them on, on that alone. So I was thinking like hopefully this is going to correct that imbalance and the best review shall win, which is kind of what it should be or, or almost at least. Yeah, I spent some time on Google this weekend. That's not what I've noticed. <laughs> it's like these sites are still here, you know. So far, it's when again, once again, that's what we said. It's like usually new factors tend to be very minor and then they kind of like amplify it with time. So fingers crossed, this is one of those that they will push a bit more. It's worth pointing out as we record this, we're what, a week going on a week into this. Uh-huh. So it, and it said it's going to take a couple of weeks to, to roll out, I believe. They mentioned that, may have mentioned that on Twitter. So it could still change. Yeah, let's see. I'm not having big hopes, but I like that they're looking at it. Let's just say that. But like for me, what I was thinking as well is like, you know, like Forbes is the perfect example, right? It's like, it's you know, Matt Diggity made a video on the topic as well. And he was like, he made a joke in there that said like, oh, Forbes, the world's expert on pillows or something like that, because they rank for like best pillows or something, which is true. It's like, you know, you shouldn't have to read Forbes 
when you want to buy a pillow. It just makes no sense. Forbes is out of sight <laughs> where well, you would read for pillows and they need to stop being like, Google needs to stop making sites rank for everything. I think that's the thing. So they need to like kind of like categorize more the same way they do on YouTube, for example. But what I liked about this is that these big publishers, they really can half ass that content and rank for big keywords. They just essentially they do intro, list of 10 products with like a shitty blurb on each of them and then a link to Amazon and a conclusion. There's no comparisons. There's no nothing. There's no whatever. And then they rank top five or something and they, get, they make a bunch of money. Whereas if Google actually pushes this kind of agenda more where they, they require more inside the content, it's going to be much harder for these websites to essentially do this kind of content at the scale at which they're doing it right now then, and at least. It's going to essentially specialize people who are really good at reviews and reward them for being really good at reviews. While, you know, people who create more generic content just tend to be not as good, like rank not as well, basically. Why are you laughing? I'm just laughing at how many times you say essentially. Uh, again. <laughs> it's, like, it's like three times in that last sentence. Yeah, I was watching some uh, other videos I did and I do the same thing. So yeah, I believe you. But yeah, but it's going to be rewarding people who get better reviews provided this update has a strong enough impact, I believe. And it's going to reward you if you really get to know your product category as well. I would also say that, you know, we've worked with quite a lot of writers across various different sites and loads and loads of niches over the years. And I feel like, you know, the average writer you're going to hire has pretty low expectations about what quality levels they're going to try and output at. So if you give them a keyword there, they'll just go away, you know, research it, well, research it. They'll actually read a few articles and kind of rewrite various parts of all of them um, into one while at the same time looking at the product description and pulling in a few things there uh, and then sort of call it a day. Uh, and there's no real kind of emphasis to really understand what the best product is and to question what's already out there and make something better. And there's something we've really been trying to do a lot of across all of our sites and really teach in a lot of the updates which we've done for the authority site system and AH Pro, which, you know, another shout out is on sale at the moment. We've really been trying to push like content quality above everything else because I believe that it is the single biggest differentiator of what's going to make your site successful or not in the long run, particularly for affiliate reviews for affiliate sites. And so, I mean, just to sort of like get back to what they're, they're saying as well, though, actually only applying to English language at the moment, which is normal. It's how they do do most updates, but that doesn't mean that they're not going to roll out to German and Spanish next year in the not too distant future. And they're saying, you know, we, we believe this will help those producing rich content in the product reviews area. You know, no shit. Then we get into the, the real kind of juicy part. So they're saying, although it's separate from their regular core updates, the advice they provide around producing quality content is, is the same. Okay, we, we already know that. But the overall focus is on providing users with content which provides insightful analysis and original research and is written by experts or enthusiasts who know the topic well. First read over that, I was thinking experts, oh, does that mean EAT is actually a thing and we're like, we need to, to, to solve that? But it's interesting they say it was written by experts or enthusiasts. So they're maybe positioning that as you don't actually have to be a pillow expert in order to write it. You just need to be enthusiastic about pillows and sleep, perhaps. Which actually, to me, says they're kind of broadening the scope of who can be writing these things to just about anyone as long yeah, as Yeah, I think it's always been like that, good though. Job. Like, there's no degree on pillows, you know? <laughs> like, I don't have a PhD in, uh, in pillow fillings, you know? But like, you know, what they mean basically is that 
if I ask you what are the pros and cons of different pillow feelings, and if you're writing with that article, you should be able to tell me. So for example, like dug down is good because it doesn't get too hot or too cold. Whereas the other one is like more firm. If you're using like foam, et cetera, it maintains your neck better if you have back problems. So if you're able to have that kind of discussion, that's what qualifies you as an enthusiast, I think. And you don't need to have a degree or a paper that proves that you know that stuff. It's just like, you know, if you know, you know, it's like, yeah. And I think that's always been what Google's expected, except for YMYL stuff when it's like, you know, like financial advice, medical advice, et cetera. Then it's not just like, oh yeah, I've read the encyclopedia on natural remedies so I can uh, qualify on heart attack advice, you know? So like, that's when it's a bit more touchy, but like every other topic, which is most of consumer topics, right? There's no degrees on consumer goods. And that's what enthusiast is. It's like, do you, can you understand different attributes of a product and explain to them, explain them? Like, why would you, when you buy a laptop, do you need eight or 16 gigs of RAM? Or why do you need a fast SSD versus a mechanical hard drive? And in which situations do you want each, et cetera, et cetera. When you're selling laptops, that's the kind of stuff that you should be able to have a discussion. If you can, you probably qualify to write about the topic. The first part of that sentence is also, I think, quite interesting. It's like focusing on providing users with content that provides insightful analysis and original research. They also mentioned earlier something about share in-depth research rather than thin content that simply summarizes yeah, yeah. a bunch of bunch of products. I think you can sort of pull all that into one discussion point. And there are actually affiliate programs out there that will provide you with pre-written kind of reviews or bits of text for your, your review, content for review that you can just kind of like copy paste, almost like a swipe email but for, spin it, you know? for, for reviews. <laughs> yeah. And there are sites that do that and somehow get away with that. I, I, I don't know. I didn't know that was kind of a, a thing, but this is just really emphasizing that you've got to go beyond just rewriting the manufacturer's description. Um, I agree, but you know, what kind of like made me irk a bit at this is the like original research part. I, I agree that it's a good thing. It's probably good for like getting links as well. Usually when we do original research on a post, people tend to link to it more. But given the way Google works with all that search intent stuff, et cetera, I was quite surprised in that they were, I mean, obviously it makes sense that they would want that. But technically how Google works these days is they're looking for like essentially pages that are considered the best pages on the topic and they're like looking at how close you are to these pages while maybe being more concise, things like that, etc. And so it was a bit interesting to see them talk about this original research because it's really something that I feel has been lacking in terms of creating content for Google these days, which is like you need to do this Me Too content to rank for a lot of queries. And so I'm curious to see how that would translate in real life. Like I'm curious of like how much of this is aspiration versus actual technical stuff that would make you rank, you know? Because Google is known for that. You know, when they when they talk about an update, they tell you what they would like it to be, but they don't necessarily tell you how they actually do this technically. And I feel like I'm like, okay, how are you gonna actually do that and reward original research on like a low DR? If a low DR site does original research, like really, really good research, Versus if the high DR site just makes a shitty me to review, how are you going to reward that? From what I've Googled so far, it's only like manual queries on like, you know, 20 queries, maybe something like this. So it's not insight on like large data, et cetera, but like I haven't seen that very much, to be honest. So I'd be curious to see what they do here. And I'm a little bit doubtful as well. So the, the main meat and bones of the post that, that Google put up was this list of, I think it was like nine or 10 bullet points about things you should consider if you're writing a, a product review. And I want to just sort of go through them all one by okay. one and we can kind of like talk around it and address it and, and maybe pull in some examples of who might use this or how this might affect certain reviews. And I'm sure we can think of some cool paintball analogies for, for this yeah. as well. It's um, like keeping a, with the theme. 
It's for the bingo of the podcast, you know? So the the first one was that do your re reviews express expert knowledge about products where appropriate. And this is somewhat vague when they say expert knowledge, especially because they previously said earlier in the, the post, expert or enthusiast. So now they're going just with expert knowledge, although it's where, well, where no, it's The knowledge is expert, not the person, you know? But <laughs> what makes someone an expert or what makes knowledge expert knowledge? Like experts are really subjective term and it will be hard to de define that. I mean, do, do you need to know more than the average person not searching for this or the average per person who's reading the review or the average person who knows about the product? Like, where do you draw, or do draw you the be, line? Or do you need to just be delusioned enough to think you're an expert, you know? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's bullshit, basically. Basically, it says you should probably know about advanced, you should know about your product category, I believe. That's what it means. It's like, you should understand attributes of your product category and Wh what which leads me to say, are. are there people out there that are writing reviews that don't know anything about their product yes. category? Yes, 100%. Um, like Google, like Best Blender and things like that, and go on these big, big publisher sites, you will see that the writer has no freaking idea about what they're writing about. I think it's sort of like when you... Do you ever ask friends and family for a recommendation for something? Oh, it's always terrible, yeah. And it's like, yeah, almost universally <laughs> bad because they don't know how, they, they don't have no. a big sample size or they don't know how to ascertain whether some something or someone is good or bad. And you're always left like, oh, actually, I definitely not going to do that because it's not not convincing. I think it's like the same sort of phenomenon there. As like some sometimes people are just writing reviews in order to like, because they have a juicing website, they, they have to review all the blenders when actually they've never used one and have no idea whether it's good or not. It's they not just, even that. It's just that like these are, these are writers on payroll for Forbes or like freelancers, you know, there's like Forbes probably has their own like in-house in, in writing system with the pool of writers, et cetera, and they just pick up articles. And the guy just, you know, has to complete 20 a week or something. And he's just like, okay, blenders are great because you can blend things in it. And you can make uh, some uh, soup or you can make something cold with it and it makes things in smaller pieces if you add water, it's great. And here's Blender 1, Blender 2, Blender 3. We write the description for Amazon. Oh, I hope you found a great blender from our review. Make sure to check also our best juicers and our best blah, blah, blah with internal links. And that's it. And again, he knows absolutely nothing. He just opened 10 Amazon links. He went in the blender category on Amazon. He filtered by star ratings. He picked the top 10 products. And he wrote a, a filler intro and outro. And we wrote what he saw in the product description without knowing anything, right? That's what's happening in content farms. And I think it's a good thing that this is this should not be rewarded, you know? To me, what this is saying is that you need to understand what makes a good product in whatever category you're writing about. So the what makes a good juicer section of your best juicers or how to how to pick a, a juicer section. When you're researching that, you're kind of learning and understanding what makes a good one. And then you can apply these same criteria and kind of learnings to all of your juicer reviews across your yeah your to each product site, as well. Like, and that's when you can like segment them, right? It's like, oh, this one is the easiest to clean. This one actually like extracts the most juice per kilo of veggies or this one actually is the like slowest one so you get more vitamins out of it or something and then that's how, that's when you can do these kind of reviews so but yeah it, the thing is like you cannot write 20 reviews a week in 20 different product categories when you essentially go on that level which is going to be a big problem for large publishers that are trying to cover every category here they either need to enlarge the pool of people they have and give them more time and budget or they'll need to cut back on how wide they go you know it's also a reason to to hire specialist topic expert writers rather than 
general writers who write about lots of different topics because the, the quality and preciseness of, of what they're, they're writing about tends to not be so good. Let's move on to the next one. Next one is that your review should show what the products are like physically or how it's used with unique content beyond what's provided by the manufacturer. So there's a couple couple things here. I think on the one hand, if you're showing what it's like physically, that could be an image or a video that you're creating. Now that raises the whole question of, do you need to have the product in hand and take photos your, yourself of it? I certainly think that if everyone else in the SERP is doing that, then you're probably gonna be quite limited if you're not. But if no one else is, then you know someone still has to, to rank. So I would hesitate to start spending lots of money on photographing and doing product enhanced stuff unless it's kind of essential for that 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 niche that keyword or you just want to go on that level of quality for your site like i think sometimes it makes sense on an editorial level to try to go on that level and sometimes when the niche is very competitive and you want to go like super clean then that's one thing to do you know so i'm not saying you shouldn't say you shouldn't do this you should just say like if you don't have to do this but it can make sense if that's what you want to do with your site and if that's your business plan you know and I think they're just kind of articulating that this is something you should be thinking about rather than here's everything you need to do in order yeah, to yeah, yeah. rank on Google. Oh, yeah, for sure. But I actually think, you know, technically it's like you need, essentially what you need is unique photos, right? You need like original images of the product, but you don't have to have the product in hand to do that, right? You could literally take, go to the manufacturer's site, take their images and crop them. And then maybe let's say it's a product family, for example, you make a Photoshop montage with multiple of them. Then you re-encode it with a, like you change the meta, the meta tags on them. And then you encode it with like, let's say it was PNG, you make it JPEG optimized for web 80% or something. So it's like a different encoding for the image as well. And then technically Google is going to see a different image, you know? I don't agree with that approach because it feels too much like it's something you're going to do just to like, tick yeah. this box and like trick this level of the of the criteria but i don't think that there's like it, people or algorithms going through and every post and saying oh is this has this been done and oh, let's compare it to the oh, it's gonna be a tiny factor anyway. it's and, not gonna matter and, that and stuff. Much. it's more like an indicative factor i think this is my opinion rather than something you have to you have to if do you in order if to, you were thinking that google is actually checking for images that's one way of dealing with it though so I don't disagree fully. Like it's I would like, say though, what's more likely to happen is that people are more likely to engage and trust with your review if you have unique imagery. Yeah, for sure. And, and you make the, more money the as signals well. signals of like time on site, click-throughs, all that kind of stuff, which are, are positive, maybe those do indirectly affect things. But if you want me to give you a spoiler alert, we are actually doing that on one of our sites. You don't know about it, <laughs> probably. But like, we're not, not exactly that. I can't exactly give all the details on the podcast because that would give away the site. But there's one of our sites where we like we're talking about product families, right? So it's like it's it's a group of product. And so we have been photoshopping images that essentially show all the products within that family within one image so that when we build like content hubs, for example, we talk we have that section that talks about that category. Essentially it shows all the products within that category. So it's kind of like useful as well to have that montage because people like see all the products in the family that we're talking about before they click on the page that talks about that family, right? That's that's different than photoshopping, you know, me a paintball gun into my hand and saying, no, that's hey, not what look, we're I doing. reviewed this. But that's not what I meant either. What I meant is like, you could just like, like crop a photo, for example, and maybe like just isolate the item in a clean way or something like that or whatever without necessarily like lying and pretend like doing a shitty photoshop that's super obvious where it's like you, you paintball a fake hand or like you put a fake hand over the paintball gun, etc. Like, so I'm saying you can just do this in a simple way where it's like 
It's just representing the product in a form of an image that has never been seen on the internet before because it's a different crop, it's a different angle, whatever it is, you know? So I don't think that's crazy to think about that. If you think it's a factor, it's not that crazy, I think. If you do want to actually acquire products, and I know several sites that, that do buy all the products full and uh, photograph them, do videos and stuff, uh, and they, they do really, really well, not just because they do that and everything else is the same, but that's indicative of their editorial standards and generally very, very high. So their, their content performs well. But you can buy a product, uh, in some cases, refund it, send it back. You know, there's questions about the morality or, of, of, of that. Amazon will, will ban you if you do that for exactly. every product you buy. But you can certainly resell it. And I think I saw something in the US where you could like buy a product new on Amazon, photo, like take photo of it and then sell it back on Amazon. There was some like special way of doing it. I need to look into that more, but I feel like this is going to become more prevalent as time goes on. I've even seen some services which will buy the product for you in the US and take photos of it and then send them to you. So even if you're not physically in the US, it makes it a little bit easier for for certain products. And of course, if you're doing digital products like courses or something like that, then you can uh, take screenshots and you'd be fine. That's why it's much easier. But they also said that show what's like physically or how it's used with unique content beyond what's provided by the manufacturer. And I think that if we take a paintball example, for example, you got a paintball marker or gun and it has like a, a thing at the top uh, where all the, the paint bullets bullets go, a magazine, whatever you call it. Let's say Would that you call yourself one... an expert on paintball or? No. <laughs> okay. Well, let's say, but it's just, just an example to highlight the point. Let's say one gun has a bigger magazine, holds 25% more, and that's something that the manufacturer says. You need to think like, okay, well, what does that actually mean in practice for someone who's using this? And you, you might, through your own experience of playing paintball, come up with some situations like, well, you can lay down suppressing fire for longer or you're not going to get caught out reloading in a tight game at the end and lose and use your experience to yeah, inform you strategy, how you know? that thing may affect it. So you're applying kind of critical sense to the situation and showing how a feature will actually be used in, in practice. So one review I did for Toy Hacker that I think illustrates that, and that's not too long to watch, is the Link Whisper review I did. So if you guys go and want to check it out on the, which sites where we point at this one, I think. If you guys want to check it out, we'll put a card here. But I made a, I think a, a, around a year ago, I made a review of Link Whisper. And same, I made a lot of like suggestions or like, oh, like features that I'm like, oh, well, in real life, it doesn't work that well. Or like, I wish it did this, et cetera. And I actually spent so fi fixed a lot of things based on that review which means that Link Whisper is a better tool now than it was when I did the review. So don't trust 100% what I say in the video, but it gives you an idea of what this means of like tying features to like real life situations, I think. And often the manufacturer will actually sort of tie in some benefits or try and position some real situations. So maybe they'll be saying for the paintball gun, like, you know, this will enable you to win more games at the end when it's down to the last man or, or whatever. But then you can use your experience to say, is that true? Like how many yeah. games have how you been How often does it happen? That's been a factor. And providing that like objective, critical evaluation to the review. That's what really makes your review good and I think satisfies that you're providing something unique beyond what the, the manufacturer yeah, is One thing is what Digity said in a video that I found made sense as well was the, um, like he explained that like the sales page usually uses like flowery language that like is very, you know, it tells how great the product is and it's like, oh, this is going to be an exceptional partner for your next paintball game, whatever, etc. Right? A review would be more like, oh, in my experience, blah, blah. so the, the type of the lexical field of the words you're using, etc., tend to be quite different between a sales page 
and that and I think that shit reviews tend to actually have this same kind of like flowery language talking about the product and they always say it's great it's always like 4.5 stars for some reason one <laughs> one slightly negative thing just to yeah. appear yeah. that we're balanced you know but it will be like oh they have bad customer support or or something which doesn't actually impact your usage of the product uh, yeah, so I sneezed when I opened the box in. so it's like yeah. yeah yeah so it's like usually like they do that so it's like I think that's one thing that Google will be looking at as well it's kind of like the way you're talking like, are you having a real talk in your review or are you just using the same salesy language that you would find on a sales page? And also they could literally just check how close your language is to the one used on the sales page of the actual product. I don't think it's very hard for them to do, especially when you, you do reviews and you have schema, you essentially put the name of the product in the schema, right? So you give Google that data literally in a field that they can just pass and then just look again, look against the website that's selling it and you know, see how close you are. So I think that's what it is. And you, you do want to have that kind of like real talk, like the same way we're talking on this podcast now, right? We're trying to essentially take the sales page of the, the algorithm update and have a real talk about it of like, how does this really change things in real life? That's exactly what's happening here. You need to do the same thing with your reviews, you know? The next point is on providing quantitative measurements on how a product measures up in various categories of performance. If you do this, this shows you that this shows that you have understood the situations when someone's likely to, to use a product. What are the main factors that you want to be assessing or looking at? With a paintball gun, that might be the range, like how far does it fire or the firing rate, how many bullets per second or per minute, however that's measured. The weight, so how heavy it is to carry around, magazine capacity. Uh, I'm sure there's a bunch, the yeah, sure there's a bunch of other things that. as well. So where not so good reviews often are, where you can identify them as a not so good review is that they don't do any of this because that takes time, effort. You got to think about it. You got to do extra research versus if you're just writing like a thin Waffle. affiliate yeah. review, you can just kind of like rewrite a few things and, you know, say, say, oh, it's kind of good, but kind of bad. Maybe, yeah, you should buy it. It's good. Whereas if you have to say, oh, it's good because of these factors, this factor, it has six of these, five of these, 22 of these, that is showing that you've really assessed the, the products. Not only that, but it, if you're doing a roundup review, then it gives you a much more solid basis for comparison across multiple products. And you can confidently say, well, I put this one number one because look, it has, it fires much faster, holds more bullets, is lighter and it shoots further. Yeah, I remember the site we sold like uh, almost two years ago now, you know, it was software and we literally spent weeks doing these kind of unique tests. So then we would write all the best VS, et cetera, posts. Then we would, it's like we'd build data that we can reuse on multiple posts as well. So it's like we spent multiple weeks just gathering data on spreadsheets, actually testing the tools, et cetera. And then after that, we essentially like put all that data in every single review that compared these things. And depending on what that review was for, then we would recommend one product or the other, depending on which one was winning in the category that was the most important for the usage of the keyword that was targeted, you know? So that's essentially like, essentially, what <laughs> Let's, now you've heard it, honestly. Yeah. Like you just say it all the time. <laughs> it's a shot game. Like everyone start the podcast with a bottle of tequila, and every time uh, I say essentially, like, <laughs> honestly, you said it like fifty <laughs> times. So. so I think it's a good idea to do that kind of, of approach, where especially if you are playing your site in hubs. So when we we tend to not just make one page about a product, right? So let's say we're gonna pick a product category. Let's say paintball guns again. What we'll probably do is we do the best paintball guns page. Then maybe we'll, pass, we'll pick five or 10 best text for why. So like maybe best paintball gun for, I don't know, kids, best paintball gun for 
like distance shooting or something like this. So some, like we just find a bunch of them and we'll maybe do single reviews for all the products mentioned in all the roundup previews and maybe some VS if there is some VS keywords between the products we did. And we'll build a hub of like maybe like 20 pages. But the thing is like once you have planned that, you essentially you essentially have the list of, <laughs> of uh, guns you're going to be uh, reviewing and so on. And so you can start then picking these categories and benchmarking these guns against each other on these categories. And then when you're going to mention that gun, whether it's in a roundup review, a VS, a single review, et cetera, you will be able to refer back to the same metrics that you have been benchmarking and you will be able to have very data heavy reviews on many pages. And that's what justifies the time spent putting it together. It's like when you do it as a hub and you get all these metrics for these products, but mention them in many pages and recycle the data pretty much. I would say. I think that's the best approach because I think a lot of people will be looking at this and be like, oh, but why would I spend so much time for this one keyword? That's not the approach. The approach is like build a hub and build like write the articles that would mention that product, all of them. And so you can reuse that number or that data that you gathered many times. And then it's not so crazy in terms of research time per article if you've organized yourself properly. It makes it much easier when you're writing all the other articles if you do do that research up front. Otherwise, you kind of have to make it up as you go every time, which yeah. can almost take just as long as actually it's, doing the research. So, yep. It's one of the benefits to focusing in, like for an authority site. Let's keep going because this podcast is going to be longer otherwise. <laughs> yeah. What's the next point? So the next point is, uh, it's kind of two points, but they're saying the same thing, I think. Explain what sets a product apart from its competitors and cover comparable products to consider or explain which products might be best for certain uses or circumstances. So explain what sets product apart from its competitors, like the product positioning here. You're not going to get this from the manufacturer's site. Manufacturers just don't say, hey, our product is better than this one, this one, this one, because they're all shit. They don't do this. They don't do this because they get like sued and it's kind of slanderous. But as a independent third party who's writing a supposedly fair and balanced review you have the right to be critical of things and say this is good and this is bad i had bad experience with this but good experience with that you can do all these things and people want to hear those things to make a informed choice about what the the best product is so i think most reviews i mean you should be doing this anyway right i don't know really why they, they had to stress it other than it's like kind of obvious obvious but thing a lot of companies don't do that like if we do that we have that in our pro in our templates etc but Again, a lot of these like Forbes, et cetera, they have an intro, 10 products not differentiated and a, a conclusion. And then that's who they're talking to here. They're taking them like a lot of good affiliates would do that. They'd be like, oh, best value for money, best overall. That's what it is. You know, like in a round of preview, that's exactly what it is. But a lot of like really, really lazy big publishers just don't do that. They do a quick intro, a trick conclusion, and then a list of 10 products undifferentiated. And that's it, you know? I think that if you really dig into it and understand like why this product is better than this one is better than this one, then it helps you write a better review. But also if you're doing roundup reviews, you kind of have to do that. It's like, how do we decide what the best paintball marker for beginners is? Well, we need to consider these things, these things, these things. And you can also apply again, sort of like question what the manufacturer is saying in their in their claims. So maybe it has a 25% bigger magazine, but in your experience, do you need that? Does it make a difference? Or is it just going to add extra weight and get in the way of when you're ducked down, crawling around on the, the, the ground? It's a possibility. You always have to have your bullshit detector on high whenever you're reading a claim from a product manufacturer because they have a vested interest in, you know, marketing it to you. So you'll, you'll buy it. Right. So I think it's just, they're just trying to get it. Google's trying to get across that you should 
be critical of those things here. The next point is discuss the benefits and drawbacks of a particular product based on research into it. Again, this sounds super basic. Pros and cons. Yeah, exactly. And I don't, I mean, like, I thought this was like just standard. Everyone would do this. But yeah, say good things, say bad things. Are they based on facts or not? Like, are, are they based on like real objective analysis that, that you're doing? Have you looked into it briefly? Are you, I don't know, do you just make it up? Is that there people really doing that? No, it's just because, again, it's like, I'm telling you, you're not looking at the shitty, uh, the shitty affiliate sites, not as much as I do, I think. <laughs> you know what? You know what? Like, so we, we talked about this before, but there are a bunch of people who reviewed our courses and said, I think they gave us like three or four stars, said it was mostly good, but oh, you got and then they off. mentioned like one one negative <laughs> thing, which was always our support, which is like definitely the best in the industry based oh, on every off. conceivable metric. But one of them said that and everyone else just kind of copied it. So they haven't done like discernible research into it. And then they happen to be promoting like another product, Wealthy Affiliate, instead. So, you know, read into that what you will. So maybe that's kind of like... <laughs> Addressing you just tell that. that story because you were pissed off because I don't see how that yeah. connects that much. <laughs> okay, well, now you know, guys. No. It's like, usually that's the kind of stuff we don't no, share. I, th I think this is valid because it's like, are you saying something bad about a, a product or service based on research into that? Or are you just regurgitating the common wisdom which all the other I get it, but the point there. was like, show the benefits and drawbacks, which is really the pros and cons, you know? It's like, yeah. Uh, because Based a lot, of, a lot of big publishers, what they do, again, same thing, intro, quick description, but they don't really tell you what's good and bad about the product. Because, they, no, because like, you can't it, find it, it in Amazon. It is a know? valid point, what I was saying. And, and here, here's, a, here's another example. So you say, oh, you know, this Toyota car is very reliable because it's a Toyota. Well, yeah, you actually check, yeah. not all Toyota cars are reliable. Toyota just happen to have a pretty good reputation when it comes to that. And certainly many of their cars are, but also many of their newer cars are not that reliable objectively when compared to other competitors. So I think it's saying you actually need to research this, not just kind of yeah, yeah. say common wisdom. So don't use the brand image and things like that. Actually experience the product. To be frank, a lot of even like journalistic uh, reviewers make that mistake too when they review products. So that tends to be, that tends to be something, but like, again, it's like, it's, I'm questioning how Google is going to discern that when, for example, when for cars, everyone's going to say, oh, Toyotas are reliable. So like inside their search intent AI, Google's going to be like, Toyota equals reliable. And if someone says it's not reliable, you're essentially breaking against the search intent. You know what I mean? Well, this is, you're right about the search intent. I'm talking about technicalities, for, for, not for the sure. truth, you know? Yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right on that. I think it's a real problem, not just because everyone's saying it, because in cases where people are saying it because they're heavily incentivized by money, mm -hmm. money, i.e. affiliate programs that, which pay a lot of money, very high rates, they all have surprisingly really good reviews and, and they appear on the, the top of all the, the roundup reviews as, as well. Bluehost. <laughs> um, yeah, so you have to, I think it's a really big challenge and one of the biggest, Google's biggest challenges over the next five years is to actually figure out who's talking yeah, nonsense that's and, the problem. and not. But like even in, in reviews of places, it's a problem on Google Maps as well because like people have no taste for restaurants and you end up in a shit restaurant because it had like four star reviews. Happens all the time too. And so it's, I noticed that I noticed that I went to Cyprus last year and it was in this like really touristy place and everywhere had like 4.3, 4.5 Yeah, star it's all terrible. Yeah. Everywhere was shit. But there was then you went to like the main town where it was like all locals and stuff, and a four point five was like really good. So it's a problem. It's a problem with like online reviews in general. Like 
in, and just people's standards, etc. But I think we were just trying to be better than their competitors. And as long as their competitors didn't figure that out, it's not that big of a problem for them, you know? And that may be the case here. So I think while the intention of Google is for this to happen, which is like base your review based on experience, not on, you know, what you know about the brand and essentially not researching and not experiencing, I highly doubt this is going to happen properly because of the way search intent works. And that in many cases, when you make a negative review of a product that is overwhelmingly well-reviewed, you don't rank <laughs> quite simply. I've done that quite a few times and you just don't rank. So I am very curious to see that from my field experience. That's not how it works. All right, let's move on to the next one. It's uh, describe how a product has evolved from previous models or releases to provide improvements, address issues, or otherwise help users in making a purchase decision. I think what this comes down to is company reputation. Like who do you buy a, a commercial airliner from? Obviously Boeing or Airbus because they have a lot of years of experience in producing good products that fly and are safe and they've learned from experiences over the years and, and they've, they've kind of made improvements. That's all I think really important. You apply that to a, a product like paintball goggles. If someone just slaps a visor on a bit, bit of plastic and calls it some goggles, is it really going to be as good as the, the company who have went through 10 iterations of the same one, collected user feedback, iterated every time, improved it and, and gotten better? The track record of, of how a product has developed or even a brand has developed over the years is, is important and should be somewhat of a weighted factor when you, you're deciding whether to, yeah, it's also um, based on to, products. to purchase something. On product models, you know, like when there's a new version, et cetera, it's like a, a new version yeah. of a Toyota, for example. I think like, and I think it's not just addressing issues. For example, it would be like, oh, while Toyota is known to be a reliable brand, this model doesn't seem to be as reliable as the previous models. This thing fell apart during our test drive. You know, we only drove 300 kilometers and we got this issue, this issue, for example, things like that. So it's like, I think it's from one model to the other as well, which is a lot of products you buy, you know, there's a new version every year, two years, three years, et cetera. Like for example, these headphones that we're using, they are two years old now. I would expect there's a refresh in one year and there's going to be things that are better and worse. This version, for example, got much better uh, microphones than the previous version. And the noise cancelling was slightly improved. And also there was a voice assistant button that is quite handy with your phone. So that would be like noticeable improvement compared to the previous version of the headphones of the same name. And so you need to highlight as well, which I think to me, this is also a hint at like you should update your reviews when there's a new version of the product, you know, and um, and you should considered it's always been a factor to be honest but maybe it's something that will matter a bit more with these new changes pretty much for digital products as well this is even more important especially for like a software as a service tool where you you buy it and you're actually getting all the new updates just when they they release them you want to be saying are they updating it is it going in a, a, a good direction do you like the product development strategy that they have from it are the new features worthwhile or or fluffy or not or if you shameless plug happen to be buying authority hacker pro and get free updates for life how often is it updated and what are those updates uh, what's the the kind of direction of, of that that could be a important thing you want to take into consideration before purchasing perhaps so all that's to say that history of a product and updates are, are very important and you should mention them talk about them um, in your commercial content next one identify key decision making factors for a products category and how the product performs in those areas for example they have the example of a car review might talk about fuel economy safety handling etc this is basically the same as what the quantitative factors we mentioned earlier were, except it's stuff that can't be quantified, such as comfort. Is this pillow comfortable or 
or not to, to sleep on. You can't really objectify that. I think you need to give you your, say, your feeling. That's when the real life experience is cool. Yeah. Because like from the sales page, you can't tell how comfortable a car is, you know? And so that's when like real life experience is going to prime on things. And, you know, like when I review tools, for example, like, you know, how like how feature is described to work versus how it actually works in real life is often very, very different. Like it's buggy or it doesn't give you enough results. It's not as useful as it's supposed to be. Or like actually it's way better than the sales page described it or something like this. And so you're able to like give that like real world feel, which I believe is what readers are looking for primarily from reviews, even though you might not need that to rank. And that's why I said like it can be a business decision to actually get all the products in hand just for that, because I believe you probably get a much higher conversion rate. And in the long run, you probably do a lot better, even though you're not making as much money initially because you're spending money on buying products, reselling them, all that stuff. So it's things that you can quantify and things you can't see when you don't have access to a product. If it's a software or something and you just need your computer, great. If it's a physical product, you know, one uh, lazy way to do that as well is to just go in a shop and see it in the shop and take photos in the shop and never buy the product. So that, that can be one way of like doing these kind of reviews as well. But I mean, you can go for a test drive of a car without ever buying it and review it, right? Like you that can, is how car reviewers review exactly. cars. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they don't buy the car. <laughs> When you're a big reviewer, you get, they get provided by the manufacturer, but like otherwise you just go to your local shop and then local dealership and you just go a test drive. They might be pissed off, but if you don't want to buy the car, but maybe what you do is you give them a link in your review. So like they're happy you have their SEO or something, you know, like kind of work out a deal like that, have like give them some hints. That on the, happens a lot of uh, YouTubers who give tours of homes. They work with the real estate agent and say, Hey, we'll do this cool video for YouTube. Yeah, exactly. They get free content and you know, something to talk about in their channel. The real estate person gets a, a free tour video of the, yeah. the property, which is great. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So it's like these kind of deals can be worked out. I know we have some members that did that. We have the member that did that with a local barbecue shop and just like borrowed items for a week even and brought them back and so on. But they knew about it. He didn't like refund and like sneakily bought it, etc. So yeah, that can be done. And I think you should, uh, if these things become more important as ranking factors, then that's something to consider more and more with your sites. Last item, and then I have a question for you. Final point was describe key choices in how a product has been designed and their effort on the users beyond what the manufacturer says. So this again is like, if a manufacturer says something, are they being honest in what they say? Is it, is it actually useful? Call them out. Like call, call out bullshit when you, when yeah. you see it. That's a really good way to add a lot of trust to, to your review, but also to provide value from the point of view of deciding of, of someone deciding whether they actually want to purchase it or not. A good tactic here is to do the, so keep asking, so what? Like if a, an audio cable has gold plated connectors and the manufacturer says to increase connectivity, you ask, well, so what, what does that mean? Does it actually make any difference whatsoever? Or it's just a, a kind of fluffy thing. If it does make a difference, then what does that mean? Well, you maybe get, I, I, again, I don't know if this is true or not, so I'm just making this up here, but you maybe get less audio degradation when playing live in your guitar or whatever. So what does that mean? Well, you sound more professional. So what does that mean? Well, you can be confident when you're playing in front of, of other people or you know, you just look cooler, sound cooler, I don't know. You convinced me, I get it. Constantly going through those, asking those so so what question will force you to evaluate not only what the manufacturer says, but what they want you to infer from what they're they're, they're saying as well. 
Yeah, don't have anything to add on this one. It's pretty, it's pretty self-explanatory. But I have a question. Based on all of this, how much do you think the templates in HPro were in phase with this? Like, are, are you happy with the work we've done inside with the stuff we've been showing in HPro based on what Google is expressing in that blog post? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I mean, but, that but was the, the you, you probably, shouldn't, pro probably shouldn't trust me because like I have a vested interest in, yeah. in, in saying that. No, I think we've done a lot. I mean, a lot of good affiliates were doing a lot of this stuff. Already. It's not just like in each pro, right? It's like good quality affiliate sites. They were doing the pros and cons. They were comparing to other products. They were, you know, trying to get good quality imagery for their reviews. They were trying to... Uh, rate different aspects in a numbered way so that it's like fact-based, etc. So I really like, I like the idea. I don't think it's necessarily true in real life yet, but I like the idea of what they're going for here. Because yeah, really it's going to make reviews an actual job, like an actual specialty that you can just jump in and just go on text broker and just put the keyword and get a review written. And if you have the R90 site, you just end up ranking over people who try a bit harder. And that, I think, while it might be making things shaky in the short term, will probably give you more space in the long run. Because if it's more difficult to do, it means less people will do it. And if less people will do it, which means that it means that the traffic that exists will be split among less people, which means these people will get more traffic and hopefully make more money. You know, So I do hope it gets harder. I do think the content that is ranking these days for a lot of major consumer item queries is terrible. And I hope that... I hope, because I haven't seen it yet, that uh, sites like Forbes, etc., that really put shit reviews online do get punished. Not punished, but like they at least have to try harder and put more resources behind it. Because if they have to put more resources behind it, even though they will probably figure it out eventually, it changes their calculation. Because imagine like because of all the costs, etc., like if let's say a review costs them like $600 these days. Maybe a review would cost them after this, if they were implementing all of this, like $2,000 to $2,500, right? Then the calculation for like which keywords they go after changes quite a bit and they will only maybe go for the really big keywords and do a good job there and be competitive. But then they will leave more medium and smaller keywords free because it's just not monetarily viable for them while it is for you as a small publisher. And it just essentially essentially gives you some space as a, as a smaller publisher to still have good traffic on Google and make a living and, and do quite well, basically. So that might be for the best, this change, even if... Some people went down with this update. I do hope, I actually hope they make it even harder. I want to add that if you are currently down from this, then wait until it plays out until you do take any action. We don't know if this is the only thing that's going on or maybe there's other kind of updates going on at the same time. Don't jump to too many conclusions just yet. But if you have been affected by it, I've seen most, almost everyone uh, who, who I've seen talk about this, at least at, at length, have, uh, who's been negatively affected have say that they have good content, but they don't really go into much more detail than that. I think most people these days think that they have good content if it's written most by... Most people uh, think they're smarter than the average, you know? But perhaps it's actually not. So I would encourage you first to take a, a long, hard look at that. And no doubt there will be people who generally do have awesome content that get caught it up in this negatively somehow, in which case, like... You know, I'm sorry for for making that assertion, but it's something you need to to really really sort of question because I don't think enough people are are being honest with themselves about the the quality of the content. I mean, we have some bad content on some of our sites, particularly some of the older stuff that was that was written. So you know, go back and look at the earlier stuff, especially. Yeah. Any final words of wisdom 
Yes, I just want to explain a little bit about what's actually in Authority Hacker Pro for those people who are not familiar with it. As Gail mentioned, it's our most advanced training course. It's This is aimed for people who already have a website, who are already making money and want to grow that further. So we teach people who have mostly content-based websites how to do all aspects of blogging, scaling your content team, link building. We've got a new on-page SEO blueprint which has just been released. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about what's in that, Gil? Yeah, I mean, fidget snippets. So I like show how to get fidget snippets live and like how to, like I I open some of our sites and just go ahead and try to get some fidget snippets. There is a lot of like advanced article kind of like brainstorming for search intent, etc. So it's trying to be like, trying not to be on page SEO, like I'll put your keyword in your title tag, you know? (laughs) It's like, it's trying to like be for search intent for all these new core updates, for all these stuff, etc. So it's, it's, a little bit more advanced and it's ending up being a lot of videos. So it's being, it's being produced now. I have more videos coming after the launch, but yeah, it's going to be a big one. And so far, pretty good return. So people like it. I think the way you said it to me at the start was most on-page SEO information is like, here's a list of factors. Yeah. But this, your one's more like, here's what you should actually do to see results. I mean, I'll tell you like a pro is like actually doing stuff real in real life, right? It's like, I don't have, I think at the beginning we had PowerPoints, but I don't think they exist anymore. I don't have any video on PowerPoint. <laughs> so it's like, I'm opening WordPress or like, I'm like opening a template that we have or something. I'm like just doing it and showing people. I'm like, hey, download the template below. So it's like, it's practical, right? And if you've seen some of my YouTube videos that like real YouTube videos, not podcasts on the YouTube channel, like you get a bit of a taste of what it's going to be. So if you want to check the revive content video, or like how to find easy effect keywords video, for example, that gives you a bit of a taste of what it looks like inside. There's over 350 odds of these videos and more coming out every other week at the moment. We have a pretty big publishing schedule this year. There's a new link building blueprint coming out next month or the, the first part of it will be released next month, I believe. And you'll notice on the podcast, actually, over the last sort of six, 12 months, we've had a lot more guests, especially from the link building community who have you know different ideas and cool ideas about outreach and PR and that kind of stuff. So we'll be talking a lot more about, about that stuff now that we've put a lot of it into practice and on our own sites. So that's that's coming as well. All you When you join HPro, you get free updates for life. So you, know, you, you buy it once and that's it, you're in, which is a pretty good deal if you happen to have picked it up for like a couple hundred dollars when it first came out. Yeah, seems um, like people are pretty happy, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, it's available now. There's a Facebook community, private Facebook community as well, which you get access to. Uh, where you can chat to us, ask us questions, and there's all sorts of other... There's no way you describe everything, Mark. People just go on atoyhacker.com slash pro, check the sales page, and you'll see everything that you need to see. It's it's really a lot of stuff. So go check it out. Anyway, thank you for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to subscribe. If you're not subscribed yet, 50% of people are not subscribed. And like the video, and drop us a comment if you enjoyed this episode, and tell us if you've been affected by this update, if you went up, if you went down. I'm quite curious to see where our community is standing at. The H4 people, some people went down, but a lot of people went up as well. So it's kind of a mixed bag at this point. So I am quite curious. Thank you for listening. Have a good week. See you later.